0: focus on the family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and if you'd like to learn how to disagree with your spouse without being disagreeable, then invest the next few minutes to listen in as we offer some trusted advice to help you improve your marital communication skills.
1: Uh, John, I think every married couple, just about, okay, we've got to leave a little door, a little out there for those that may not, but I think just about every married couple, is going to disagree from time to time. I mean, I think it's even healthy for human beings to disagree. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes folks will write us to say they've never had a disagreement in their marriage, and we'll talk to our guest about that in a minute. But uh, we need to talk about how to do it well, Mm -hmm. how to identify the fact that we're going to have differences of opinion, and how in this covenant marriage relationship, how do we go about... Uh, resolving that conflict in a way that honors God Mm -hmm. and builds up the relationship, it doesn't tear it down. Well, Dr. Scott Stanley is here
0: with us to help us understand this. Um, He's got practical advice based on research and uh, his extensive counseling experience with couples. He's a research professor and co-director of the Center for Marital and Family Studies at the University of Denver. Uh, Dr. Stanley has updated and revised one of his classic books, It's called a lasting promise, and it offers a wealth of information. We're going to get into a couple of chapters of it today, specifically those dealing with communication
2: in marriage.
1: Well, let me welcome you, Doctor Stanley, to focus on the family.
2: Thank you very much. It's really great to be back. Okay,
1: now we've got a. It's nice that you have a lot of letters behind your name because that says you've studied it for a long time. But let me ask you this: How long have you and your wife been arguing? Well,
2: Uh, (laughs) boy. We've been married, we'll be married 33 years in December. I don't know, arguing well, at least half of those years. (laughs) Well,
1: and that's a good insight that you learned to do it. And uh, that's a good place to start. Um, Where do you realize, how did you realize
2: that you needed help? I mean, you're a PhD. What happens is a lot of people enter marriage these days where they really expect a ridiculous level of agreement and perfection. Huh. And when, so Nancy and I, we'll, we'll have our dust ups. We've had some buttes over the years. Um, I think they've, the biggest ones are pretty far back there, but we sure had them. And I think something that's very damaging for people marrying these days is this, this idea that has this concept that we will be Perfect for each other, we mm-hmm. would never disagree, we would never have conflict, and that expectation alone does a lot of damage. what do you think
1: um, again, with your uh, research side of what you do what 's driving that in culture today? Is it something that's always been there going back a hundred years, two hundred years, or is that a fairly new phenomenon that mm. we have these expectations of perfection
2: it's it 's a new phenomenon uh, you know people historically saw marriage as a, a lifelong agreement, a way to form a family and to have a stable family for the children and, and to go through you know generations that way. And over the last, uh, intensely, I'd say 60 years or so, we've moved to what some of the social scientists call a uh, companionate model of marriage you know instead of a sense that we're gonna get through no matter what and we're gonna work together in life no matter what that marriage is really about fulfillment as opposed to stability and uh, commitment for life and in the family and so that shift is part of a general sense I think of uh, I should be always happy in everything I do and if I'm not happy I'm maybe in the wrong place and I should Mm -hmm. look for something else and that brings us to the topic that we're talking
1: about How do you argue well uh, so that it doesn't destroy your marriage and you can learn to love each Mm -hmm. other even when you have disagreement? There's some studies, recent studies, that show that uh, blowing that steam valve, if you want to call it that, you know, flashing isn't really healthy. Some people believe, well, get it out on the table and that's a good thing, but that may not be a good thing.
2: It's it's not only something that uh, scripture doesn't support that is a great idea and the research doesn't support that it's a great idea. So people that really believe strongly that it's important to get all their negative feelings out and just vent, they tend to themselves have greater cardiovascular risks and other kinds of things. It it stirs up stress and tension. Mm -hmm. It's clearly destructive in relationships. So there's there's a lot to be said for constructively making your point and getting important issues on the table. That's important. That's valuable. But just spewing and getting it out is destructive. Uh, Scott,
1: the technique that you're talking about um, feels like it takes a lot of thought, a lot of work. It feels like almost going to a gym and working out your muscles. You know, yeah. you got to exercise yeah. in order to do what you want to do, mm-hmm. lose weight, build mass, whatever you're trying to do. It has that feeling to it. And so often we're, um, in the moment, we're responding to our spouse out of our emotions. And it's, it, it sounds right to do it the way you're doing it, but how do you actually hmm. grab those words before they release from your tongue <laughs> so they're not uh, creating the pain that you don't really intend? I don't think anybody sets out to, to wound or to harm. How do you create the mechanisms to say, okay, well, slow down, Slow down. Step back. Mm. Breathe deeply. I mean, that sounds like exercise. Yeah.
2: And I think it is exercise. There's some of these things that are fundamentally, if you're going to change within yourself, uh, you need to be thinking about it, praying about it, uh, because those things make you more aware of it. You're, you, the sooner, the earliest in these moments you can detect what's just starting to go wrong for the two of you and the sooner one tries to really derail that and turn the direction is really important. And that I do think there's no other explanation f- for the fact that that takes some discipline, mm-hmm. that really you have to be pushing yourself for how you're going to get there.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, let me ask you, uh, some of the danger signs. Uh, Maybe we think, and I think for men particularly, we think things are rolling along, we're doing pretty well. You know, everybody seems happy. But you talk about in your book some danger signs uh, to look out for in marriage. Can you elaborate on that? What would be some of those danger signs?
2: So one of them is the one we just talked about, the negative interpretation and that tendency to sort of have a quick negative view of your partner's motivations. Uh, Another one, and it's a very common one, is just what we call escalation. And that's, uh, or or what I talk about in the book now is uh, climbing the crazy ladder. (laughs) And and most couples know about what this is like. Something little is said, some little thing catches something else, back and forth goes. And I liken it to a couple racing up, they're each racing up a ladder. And the issue, the the thing about ladders, and it's really interesting related to escalation, is you can go up a ladder fast. Nobody goes down a ladder fast. Well, trained firemen, sure, they can come down a ladder (laughs) fast. You don't come down fast on purpose. We don't come down fast on purpose. We can go up fast. We come down slow. And once we're up there, that ladder's really unstable. You know, way up at the top is a lot less stable than near the bottom and some people need to recognize that not only do they need to do this for their marriage if they have children around they really need to do this for children mm. children are very much affected by parents being on top of the crazy ladder they they they're not pleased with the higher wire act and there's a lot of evidence mm. and research that children are harmed by being exposed to chronic poorly handled conflict so People need to look for what hooks them best in terms of the motivation, but that's a pretty powerful motivation to learn as a couple, not to go up the ladder. Mm
1: -hmm. You you said something, I got to grab it, Uh, poorly managed chronic conflict. I mean, that's critical, I think, for all of us as parents. Talk about the impact of children when they're watching mom and dad fight in an
2: uncontrolled Mm -hmm. uh, way. Mm -hmm. Well... Children function best when there's stability. They function best if there's stability in the home, stability about the marriage in the most basic sense. But they also function best with emotional stability in the home and a sense of emotional safety. Here's the two most important people in my life, and they seem right now to not like each other, and they seem to be being pretty nasty to each other. That has An unbelievable amount of a stress reaction in a child, and what the research tends to show is that the way that that affects children is in one of two ways: they can either sort of turn more inward and become sort of uh, more retiring and sort of dealing with it internally, or they can start acting out more. With some difference between boys and girls being more likely to be in one or the other, but they just don't have—they don't have a way to process it. And and one of the things that happens is a lot of couples sort of think. Well, this is great. They're seeing how real life is. They're seeing how people really are. No, it's not so great. It's not great to model stuff that isn't healthy, isn't a strong way to go, even if it's common. There's a lot of things that are common are not good. So people need to motivate themselves to get that under control for both the sake of their marriage and their children. Mm-hmm.
0: As you were talking about ladders, I was thinking it. You, you really can't go up a ladder side by side. So we each seem to have our own ladders going up in separate directions even yes but uh, I was struck by something else you said Dr. Stanley and, and that was you know try to cut off the argument the conflict at an early stage to kinda of regroup Dina and I process things very differently I'm much slower to process in a verbal argument and and so she sees me kind of avoiding if I say I need a out here and I know that in the back of her mind, she's thinking, don't let the sun go down on the anger. We've got to finish this tonight, right now. So how do we resolve that sense of of we fight differently? We co- we have conflict management skills that are
2: differ. Well, I think one of the things you, you picked up on the, this point about some couples naturally just get off the ladder a lot faster. And it's worth thinking about how they do that. One is they probably have more of that sort of negative interpretation to begin with because those really rile us up right, and sometimes we have to really push ourselves to 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 think about those negative interpretations we make and and make a different one. But as far as getting off the escalation ladder, getting off the crazy ladder earlier, what the people that naturally do well do is one will soften and then the other will respond to that person softening so one raises a concern i 'm really anxious about. Billy and how we're going to figure out what school he's really going to go to next year. We have to decide. This time's moving on, and the other might react all defensively or say something. Well, you just you know you're so controlling about it. I don't really want to talk to you. Where's that going to go? Mm-hmm. That's that's going conflict. If on the other hand either one of them decides to soften, so let's say so the one does react negatively, but the other softens and says, y- y- you know I am really anxious about that. I am really concerned about that, and." I don't want us to fight about it. Uh, we just need to talk about it. Let's find a, a good time and place to talk about it calmly. Mm. That kind of soft, you know, general answer turns away wrath. You mm. know, a gentle response really can have, not always, but a lot of times it can have a very powerful effect. But that does mean one sort of starting toward the gentleness before the other. That's the way it works in two.
0: People. So I would be, I would do well then in that scenario to say, you know, Dina, you, you realize that I'm a little slower on this stuff, and I just need to have some emotional space. I really do want to solve this. I just can't do it quite yet.
2: That would be very powerful, especially if added with, can we pick a time like this weekend? Mm. To talk where I'm actually ready to talk with you about this. Because otherwise it is pretty easy. You know, one of the other danger signs that we talk about is withdrawal and avoidance. And this is really not a fun dance for couples and it's a destructive one. Where one tends to be more in the role of raising issues, pushing things, we've got to deal with this, and the other shuts down, pulls away, pulls back. That's that's a lousy dynamic, but it's extremely common. The one in the withdrawing role needs to recognize if they're going to do that kind of strategy, which is, I see you're saying, you know, you're saying something really important. Can we find a time over here? Can we find a special place where we're both ready to talk about that? That's highly skillful, and it tells the partner concerned about the avoidance and withdrawal. I'm not going to avoid you on this, but can we find together a better time?
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, Scott, let me ask you this question because that. The obvious flare points are there. I mean, every couple knows when they've had the whopper. Yes. <laughs> um, the question I've got for you is the little um, bickering that can go on. It mm. seems like a, you know, it's a, a gentle fire. It, it seems manageable, but you're saying look out because that can really um, mm. take the strength out of the marriage. Uh, elaborate on that. How we need to be mindful of the ongoing brush fire.
2: One of the things that's interesting about the research in this area, a lot of which is based historically on videotaping couples and watching them carefully about what they do. When we think about escalation and and, and this idea of the crazy ladder, you know, we think of really volatile, very expressive, loud sort of arguments. That's really hardly ever what the researchers see in the lab. They're seeing much minor, more micro sort of levels of escalation, just what you said, sort of little bickering, little tension, mm-hmm. little not recognition of my partner's point, and it's sort of building with some tension. We call that escalation, too, and that's the level researchers actually measured it at that is associated with struggling in marriage and increased difficulty of a marriage really doing well in life.
1: What, what's happening in that moment? Is it a breakdown of trust, or what's going on in the, in the dynamic of the relationship that that kind of smoldering, bickering, what is it taking away from the healthy relationship?
2: I think one of the the most profound thing that's happening when people are doing these negative patterns is they're eroding the sense that it's safe to be with you and i mean emotional safety now we can talk about physical safety can can be linked to these things but really just think about emotional safety people want most in their mate the person that they can most be themselves around and be completely accepted now it's kinda hard to completely accept everything about another person because we're different people but that's what people people are looking for genesis to the end of the chapter being naked and unafraid or naked and unashamed, Mm. that culmination of that description that's in several places in Scripture about uh, Adam and Eve is really what people want deeply in their hearts. So when we have the chronic, bickering, unresolved things, that's creating a lot of motivation and energy to keep the fig leaves up. And maybe even build fig leaf parkas because it's it's just not <laughs> going to be warm with you, it's not safe with you, I need to... So it's it, it amounts to motivating, we're, we're chronically motivated then to be protective rather than connected.
1: Um, let me ask you this, uh, Scott, when you look at gender too, and I know in academic circles this can be really volatile, but talk about how gender plays into this. Men tend to isolate, they tend to be loners. Um, We're all men here at this table. Um, I think a woman's voice would be saying, I'm trying to help my husband see these things. Um, The husband's saying, she's nagging me. Mm -hmm. Uh, This can be a common dynamic. Uh, Talk about that gender dynamic as best as you can.
2: I believe several things about the, the gender dynamic. Just like you said, maybe it's two to one, three to one, whatever. When you find a couple where they have this pattern of one pursuing and one withdrawing, it'll be more often that the male is in the pursuing role than the female. But if it's two or three to one, that also means there's a ton of marriages where it's the other way around. And one research team, uh, Andy Christensen's team at UCLA, has found that it kind of depends on who's raising the topic. You know, so the person, <laughs> if you don't want change on a particular issue, you're not going to be raising it, right? right. So, it's a quiet thing. <laughs> this is right. Hey, this is good. I want to leave it alone. So sometimes, in fact, they, they think sometimes it looks like the females are more often in that pursuing role with the male withdrawing role because females more often are sort of monitoring the whole family environment and want something to change. Mm-hmm. And are trying to get their husband's attention, and then what I do is, I, so I acknowledge that there's something going on with gender there, and then I say, look, whatever side of this dance you're on, here's the most important thing I think you need to realize, and I'm going to go back to where we started about negative interpretations. A lot of times, the withdrawer is thinking the pursuer wants to control them, hassle them, change. They're making a negative interpretation. And the pursuers thinking i want to do what's best for the family here i want to address something i want to make a decision and a lot of times the pursuer thinks the withdrawer doesn't care isn't interested they're going into their cave because they're really just sort of barely in this marriage And i think a lot of times the person going in a withdrawal mode is really just trying not to fight but they don't see a way to have this conversation that isn't going to be a fight so they're pulling away it would hardly hurt any couple to make the more generous interpretation on either end of that dance of mm-hmm. why the other's doing what the other's doing that they want something good to change or they want to talk about something important and they don't want to fight those are great motivations think that way and then find a way together to talk
1: huh. it, it it does occur to me why are we so irrational As human beings, Um, those things we want, we tend to act in ways Mm -hmm. that prevent us from arriving there. Yes. Uh, If we, especially in the Christian community, if we want a better relationship, we want a better marriage, um, we can still act in ways that tear down our spouse. It's like we're not applying the book of Proverbs. Um, Why is there this dissonance between what we know to do in the fact that we don't do it and apply that to our spiritual walk
2: Hmm. i I think there's a there's a part of the difference there is we react so quickly in terms of the emotional system so the the part of our mind you know that that, that's gonna think about what's best here what's a good plan that part responds a moment later or slower (laughs) than the part that's all geared up emotionally and ready to rock and roll and so there's a natural defensiveness um, even brain-wise, there's like there's a big difference here between what the amygdala is doing and what the frontal lobe's doing. The amygdala is more that immediate reaction to protect; it's the fight or flight sort of response, and the frontal lobe's more planful. But I also think, and this you you mentioned the spiritual thing, we would be naive as believers uh, or unbelievers. To think that our own sin and selfishness wasn't on the table in these dynamics. Mm -hmm. You know, James, you know, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's our selfish desires we want, but we don't get. You know, we're striving to get our way. We are also inherently somewhat selfish and somewhat self protective. And you can't really be dealing with all these levels in the most effective way if you're just thinking skills. The most effective thing would be to be dealing with your heart. And how can I? love my mate better, how can I serve my mate in love? Mm.
1: Hey, Scott, as a researcher, let me ask this question because, uh, again, I think many of us on the cultural level are concerned about the institution of marriage. But when we look at it, again, from a Christian perspective, um, what do we need to do to really walk it better? I mean, if you could say three things to me as a brother in Christ. Jim here's the thing I would tell you, here's the advice I would give you for your own marriage, what would you say to me?
2: Let me try answering that on on three levels. One is sort of the most self-interested level, and you could even call it the selfish level. How your marriage goes is easily arguably the most fundamental thing that's gonna govern how so many of the things go in your life, whether things turn out well or not. So on that level it's really worth investing and in thinking about what you can do from your end what you can do to do your part to make it safe to connect to change patterns to show more commitment so that's one answer on another level and this is more to the church i think churches could do a lot more to see that there's a fundamental role of marriage in all of theology and all of christianity and if we took that more seriously, there'd be a lot more attention and thought to how marriages are going in the mm-hmm. congregation. And, and I know these are lightning rod issues for pastors now in a, in a zillion ways, but how could they do more effective ways to reach out to young couples that aren't even involved in church, to reach out to the married couples or non married couples that are in the church and help them, start to help them build their relationship, strengthen their relationship? So I think this is a very important role for marriage ministry. And then the last one, and this one is for the Really seriously, deeply believing, passionate Christian. This is a, a very sobering, powerful motivation. Um, Christ in his high priestly prayer in John 17, and before you know, the night before he died. One of the things he prays for for us is he prays. He's praying for the church. He's praying for the apostles. He's praying for who comes after him, and he says, "I pray that they may all be one, as we are one." and he says something interesting and i i'm blanking on the exact phrase at the moment but everybody can find this passage he says so that the world will know that you sent me so if you you want to hook the importance of your marriage to the biggest thing that we're called to in life which is why we're here in terms of sharing the gospel and being light to other people christ is saying my reputation in the world is hinged on you folks being able to show oneness that starts in the marriage that's in our congregations, that's in how we treat people in communities who we can find overlapping interests with. That's really powerful stuff. And all of what we're really talking about here, when we talk about these, these negative patterns, it's stuff that shows either the fraying of the oneness or stuff that's destroying or damaging the oneness. The oneness is the part that matters. It's what people really want. Mm-hmm. And that's the naked and unafraid, that naked and unashamed part. We want that, but we have to work for that. And Christ is saying, by the way, your ability to demonstrate that others is part of why you're here. I like that. I like that because it gives us purpose Mm
1: -hmm. in why we need to work out an exercise when it comes to our marriages, uh, to think before we speak, uh, to be Christ-like in our very closest relationships. That's Mm. with our spouse and with our children. Dr. Scott Stanley, uh, author of the book A Lasting Promise, The Christian Guide to Fighting for Your Marriage, Uh, thanks for being with us today. Thank you very
0: much. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family, and on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller.
3: Dr. Scott Stanley certainly brought some interesting research and wisdom to the table in today's program. What struck me was that it's those arguments that are more minor in intensity, like bickering and a little tension. That's what research is showing as a leading cause in the breakdown of marriages. We are keenly aware that there are many marriages that are struggling, and we'd love to offer help to those whose marriages are going through difficulty. That's why we're here. Just get in touch with us. We have a great team of counsellors and we have a range of ways you can connect. You can give us a call on 031-716-3300 or connect with our counselling team through the counselling page on our website at safamily.co.za. I also want to recommend a phenomenal book called Fight Your Way to a Better Marriage. Based on years of counselling, research and success stories, Dr. Greg Smalley teaches us how to use marital conflict as a way to deepen and strengthen our relationships. To order a copy of the book, please call us or visit our website. The great news is that in just one year alone, we've helped over 1,400 couples in a marital crisis. You can be a part of that. Either join as a monthly partner or with a one-time gift. It all goes to helping strengthen other people's lives and marriages and their commitment to Christ. You'll also be joining Focus on the Family's Give the Gift of Family campaign with your year-end gift of support. You can make your donation online at safamily.co.za. You can also send us your contribution via EFT. All the details are on our website. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.